0: Welcome everyone to my channel The Cause. My name is Rob and today we're going to be going over our third book in the first volume of the Harvard Classic series, Mr. William Penn's Some Fruits of Solitude. Now to better understand Some Fruits of Solitude, you kind of need to understand William Penn and where he was coming from. Nowadays, he's almost just solely associated with the founding of Pennsylvania. In fact, I actually did know that before going into the book. That's about the only thing I knew about William Penn, though. He was born in London in 1644, so this would have been kind of around that Cromwell uh, timeframe. His father was an admiral in the British Navy, serving with distinction, and William would go on to be expelled from Oxford University for unconformity. You see, he didn't really want to participate in the Anglican Church, and his father, the respected admiral, was obviously kind of, you know, disappointed in his little son. William would become a Quaker in 1667, and he would start writing these unorthodox writings and stuff like that. And in 1669, he would be imprisoned in the Tower of London for his attacks on the English Church. Now, the Tower of London was not some, you know, rinky-dink little prison sentence, it's kind of a... High security, I guess, prison back in the day. And with all his newfound free time in prison, he would go on to write "No Cross, No Crown," which was one of his diatrides against how Britain was operating during that time. And I looked that writing up because I was thinking if it was just a few pages, I was going to go read it real quick, you know, jump back into the book. But it was a couple hundred pages long. It still exists; it's out there. You can you can go go and read it. It's one of them prison masterpieces that have been given to us no cross no crown basically in in the terms of how you may hear it today is if you're not capable of carrying the cross then don't think you're worthy of wearing the crown. So William's a radical at this point. I mean, straight off the rails, that that son, that black sheep in the family who's just, he's the crazy guy. What's William up to these days? Ah, oh, he's in prison, you know. He's speaking out against the government. So fully converted to the Quaker religion, he's speaking out against the extravagance and the wealth that Britain's kind of displaying at this time. And his father kind of sees how devout he is, and honestly he looks at it almost in an honorable way. Like, man, he's really passionate about what he believes in. And he becomes willing to pay for his son to get out of prison. So the king of England owes William's father, Admiral Penn, a debt. But Admiral Penn dies before that debt is paid. So the debt owed falls to William Penn. And the king offers him 45,000 square miles of land west of the Delaware River. Now one square mile is 640 acres, which if you multiply those together, it comes out to a staggering 28.8 million acres of land that must have been some debt he had to pay off now granted you know this is probably cheap land back in the day the king really didn't care it's like here let me write this debt off by giving you land that honestly a bunch of other people already own but uh we'll get to that william penn wanted to name it slovenia but the king wanted to honor the admiral as well, so they kind of compromised, and that's where you get this Pennsylvania. Slovania means something like mini woods because Pennsylvania back in the day was super wooded. So at this point, He's out of prison, and now he's one of the most land-rich people in the world. It's crazy how life works. So he goes on to land in the Americas in 1682, and he starts to build out this utopia for the Quaker people that followed him after obtaining his charter to be governor over that New Jersey and kind of Pennsylvania area. Now, this land is technically already occupied by other people. You have the Swedes there. You have some Dutch people that's done settled, and not to mention a ton of Native Americans that live in the Pennsylvania region during this period. Uh, you have the whole Iroquois tribe that lived there. Uh, eventually, Corn Planter and all of them would grow up in that region. So the king basically gave him a bunch of land that's already kind of being lived on by a bunch of people. So with that being said, now that we kind of have an idea of where, where William Penn was at in prison and kind of what's been gifted to him now, this huge change of his life circumstances, his father's past, let's kind of read into some of William Penn's I like to call them proverbs because that's kind of what they sound like, but it says some fruits of solitude. Now, this portion of the volume is broken up into two major sections, and they have a preface in the beginning. Now, this preface, I'm going to say, like, you have to read it. It's really good. It kind of sets up what he's writing about through the fruits of solitude. He kind of talks about, you know, in the beginning of your life, all you do is work, and, and you're so focused on getting ahead in life that once you retire and you, you look back on some of these fruits of solitude, and it's like, man, like, we really need to focus on the small things things and enjoy, and I think that's an important preface to read. The first part is some Fruits of Solitude, and then he follows it up with a second portion, which is a smaller portion with more Fruits of Solitude. Uh, It's basically the same thing, so they don't deviate too much, so let's dive into those. So the Fruits of Solitude, they kind of remind me of the Proverbs in the Bible, and they are laid out by topics in the books. Like friendship, pride, and marriage to justice, truth, and virtue. He opens up the reading with a very strong line, in my opinion. He says, "It is admirable to consider how many millions of people come into and go out of the world ignorant of themselves and of the world they have lived in." Now, I I think this is super important because I think we all have witnessed this, and I think we all think about this sometimes. How many people's dreams, ambitions, and their potential have just gone to the grave, they've never used it. And then how many amazing guitarists have there been that have never even picked up a guitar? I think about that all the time. He also comes out swinging on the first topic of education where he says, we are in pain to make them scholars, but not men, to talk rather than to know which is true canting. And I was just thinking, ooh, if he could only see our men today, I mean, we struggle with defining what a man is, let alone educating them correctly. On discipline, he says, if you want to be happy in the family, Above all things, observe discipline. Everyone, it is, should know their duty, and there should be a time and place for everything. And whatever else is done or omitted, be sure to begin and end with God. I think that's a good one, too, because, you know, when you first get married, there's always those roles, and like you've been indoctrinated with these ideas on who should do what, and this, that, and the other. And what are you going to do? What am I willing to do? What do I want to do? All the time versus what you want to do all the time. Know your duties because if you know your duties in a relationship, it definitely just helps everything coalesce and get along real good. On temperance, he says, diets contribute much. Eat therefore to live and do not live to eat. Now living down here in Louisiana, we eat etouffee, shrimp gumbo, jambalaya, crawfish i mean we'll have a couch delay we'll tear it up you know and sometimes we do live to eat now i'm not gonna lie this is one of our weaknesses down here we live to eat sometimes we will have a party like a couch delay somebody cooking a pig or something we're just meeting for the sole purpose of somebody's cooking so <laughs> we kind of struggle with that one i think down here uh on a quality friend a true friend unbosoms freely advises justly Assist readily, adventures boldly, takes all patiently, defends courageously, and continues a friend unchangeably. I don't know about y'all, but finding good friends that I can really relate to has become harder. I don't know if it's just like an age thing where the older I get, the more kids I add to my my little tribe, just the less time I get to hang out with people, but um, good friends are, are... are hard to come by especially one that you can dive down these rabbit holes with and talk you know philosophy or anything like that on the rules of conversation he says in all debates let the truth be thy aim not victory or an unjust interest and endeavor to gain instead of expose the antagonist men are too apt to become concerned with the credit more than the cause I like that one because it, it brings me back to Benedict Arnold, who fought in the Battle of Saratoga, which was a pivotal, pivotal battle in the American Revolution. It it literally was the one where the French finally said, Okay, like we believe y'all can maybe do it. We'll we'll go ahead and ally with y'all. And Benedict Arnold was a was a major player in that battle, you know, honestly turning the tide of the troops during during one of the periods, but he came so obsessed with his credit, with his what he should get from it, his promotion, like all this stuff. And so even though he was an amazing general, he lost sight of the cause, and he would go down in history as a failure to the country. On justice, he says, Believe nothing against another but upon good authority, nor report what may hurt another unless it be a greater hurt to conceal it. I think we could all kind of take some notes on that one. On knowledge, he that has more knowledge than judgment is made for another man's use more than his own. I love that, and I'll read it again. He that has more knowledge than judgment is made for another man's use more than his own. I love this because I feel... This is how our current education system is set up. It's cram a bunch of knowledge into your head, but we're not going to really train you how to use or, or 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 judge that information. That judgment is going to be used by somebody else. So I really like that one. On hope, never give out while there is hope, but hope not beyond reason, for that shows more desire than judgment. I think that's a a, a great example. There there's there's a lot of these no quit quotes out there, like don't quit under any circumstances. No, if if you finally sit down one day and you reason and, and with logic, you sit here and say, okay this doesn't make sense to continue on because a better opportunity is in this direction. Pivot. Don't get so lost in the dogma of not quitting that you waste your life away at something you truly don't want to do just because this idea of not wanting to quit. On respect, I love this one. He says, never esteem any man or thyself the more for money. Gosh, do we not see that a lot today. Uh, Just because you have money does not mean you are worthy to give advice. I feel this is the Andrew Tate era we're kind of living in, where if they didn't tell you how much was in the bank account or show up in whatever car they're they're in, their information would be of no value. But it's this intrinsic, materialistic value they attach to themselves that make people want to kind of believe in what they're saying. So like I always say, don't judge a man on his money. Judge a man on the way he speaks to his mother and his wife. William goes on to say, men will lessen what they won't imitate. I think that's an amazing one. A lot of times you go tell somebody that you, you work out or you run, and immediately they somebody lessens like why you should. You know, I am stupid. The only reason I'm going to run is if a line's after me. It's like, well, no, you you just don't value it. We are more prone to complain than redress. He that won't hear can't judge, and haste makes work. Of what caution prevents i like that one. they got that saying i, I kind of really like too. it's you know we never have time to do it right but we always have time to do it over and i think that's a perfect example of if you don't plan out what you're going to do it's going to take longer he that judges not well of the importance of his affairs though he always may be busy he must make a small progress this is a big one on me personally i, I there's a lot of times where i'm in the motions of work but I look back and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm really not getting anything done. It argues great folly to men to let their satisfaction exceed the true value of any temporal matter. For disappointments are not always to be measured by the loss of a thing, but the overvalue we put on it. A reasonable opinion must ever be in danger where reason is not judge. That's one for today, I feel. That's kind of where I feel we are at in life right now. If reason is not the sole part of how something is being judged then we could be going into some very uneasy and unclear times there's two passages i want to read they're 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 pretty quick but i think they really just kind of sum up who william penn is too One is kind of, it's called, on the interest of the public in our estates. And he goes on here to say, but since people are more afraid of the laws of man than of God, because their punishment seems to be nearest, I know not how magistrates can be excused in their suffering such excess with impunity. Now what I like is, Out of all the fruits of solitude, William Penn actually has an exclamation mark down here. He gets passionate right here. You can tell he's kind of writing, and that that pen's getting a little shaky because he's getting a little irritated. He says, our noble English patriarchs, as well as patriots, were so sensible of this evil that they made several excellent laws commonly called sumptuary to forbid. Now, sumptuary laws are regulating or controlling expenditure or personal behavior. Uh, So it was kind of like these extravagance laws back in the day. They wanted you, you know, you can't buy a Ferrari, but maybe a Mercedes. To forbid, at least limit the pride of the people, which, because the execution of them would be our interest and honor, their neglect must be our just reproach and loss. So he's saying if these laws were upheld, it would help out the people. Tis but reasonable that the punishment of pride and excess should help to support the government, since it must otherwise inevitably be ruined by them. So what he's saying is this extravagance, this lust for more, is going to ultimately probably be the destruction of, of the government. Uh, but some say its ruin trade will make the poor burdensome to the public. But if such trade as the consequence ruins the kingdom, is it not time to ruin that trade? Is moderation no part of our duty and temperance an enemy of government? He is a Jew Judas that will get money by anything to wink at a trade that effeminates the people and invades the ancient discipline of the kingdom is a crime capital and to be severely punished instead of being excused by the magistrate is there no better employment for poor people than luxury miserable nation exclamation mark what he's saying is there's so many poor people and I I've I've seen it too and I've actually done it you working on a carpenter crew and you're working on these a a million dollar house You're, you're working on houses you'll never be able to afford or you can't afford at that time. You're changing the tires out on a Bugatti or something like that. But you're, you're working on all these luxuries that you see people enjoying. I, I feel that's what William Penn's really kind of just going off on at this point, which I like that. You know, passion's good. Second one, last one I want to read is called The Conformist. Um, I think it's really correlates to where we're at today in our lifetime. And I, I think he would probably not even recognize how the mind has conformed to ideas and stuff compared to how it was back then. It is reasonable to concur where conscience does not forbid a compliance. For conformity is at least a civil virtue. So we say, and conformity is not a bad thing. It can be a civil virtue if done in the right way. But we should only press it in necessaries. The rest may prove a snare and a temptation to break society. But above all, it is the weakness in a religion and government where it is carried to things of indifferent nature. And since, besides that, it makes way for scruples, liberty is always the price of it. Conformity, if done in a moral way, if done in a virtuous way, can be a good thing. But if you start conforming against your morals, against your virtues, against your will, then immediately at that point, you're starting to erode the concept of liberty away. Conformity can be good. Conformity can be bad. And I feel we really got to monitor that level of conformity that we want to participate in. So with that, I like to say conform respectfully and push back courageously. So in conclusion, William Penn was another man who was really not afraid to just take brave actions. I mean, he he would he would be in prison for actions he took. He would go on to found a major colony at the time. And although it does appear that he uh, he planned to live in the Americas for a long time. I think politics over in England kept pulling him back and he would eventually die in England in 1718. Franklin at this point would have just been a very young young boy and woman would come into the world two years later. So that kind of gives you a time frame of where all three of these books in the first volume, they're all in the same little area of Philadelphia and they're all kind of in the same little time period here. Penn's writing is a mixture of Franklin's wit and woman's kind of devout religiousness. So as we wrap up this volume, we have to realize that all three of these writers were were in that same little area of Philadelphia. And I think Eliot chose this area because this area would be like the culmination of this classical education experiment. Because the American Revolution, which, which would be a few years later, is a great example of what can be accomplished when a free-thinking group of people get together. These men would all be a part of the identity that would basically make up what would become the United States. Franklin's quip of Republic, if you can keep it has never been more true. Although it seems like the Republic is only holding on by a thread, we have to make sure that thread is not severed. As far as woman goes after his death, it would be another hundred years before his dream of emancipation would take place and be another hundred years after that before full equal equal rights would be won. Penn's Quakers and their founding of the city of Philadelphia would be the birthplace of a nation that would go on to lead the world in freedom and liberty we really have to look back and and realize that we can't allow the world that they created to just disappear. It is honestly our duty to keep that flame of liberty alive and burning. With that being said, next week we're going to be diving back into history 2,400 years ago to a little city called Athens. Uh, we're going to be talking about the death of Socrates and Plato's The Apology. We're talking about republics that are no longer here anymore. We're going to be going into uh, Rome in a little bit with Marcus Aurelius, so I'm excited about the next videos we have coming up. I truly hope you enjoy these videos. If, if you do, please think about subscribing to the channel. It helps all the algorithms and stuff like that to kind of get everything pushed out like comment please go down there and comment i i will answer all the comments if you would like to support the channel please consider purchasing some coffee that i roast i will leave the link in the description to my website what more could you want than reading books and drinking amazing coffee i mean come on that that's that's life with that being said i love you all keep drinking coffee read some amazing books and i'll see you next week you were drinking wine and you were speaking Portuguese I was making lots of noise busking on the city streets I came back from Brooklyn but you didn't come back for me